0: Welcome back to the Grey Matter Podcast. You are with your hosts, Nick, and I've got Rod back in the building today. Howdy, Rod. Hi,
1: Nick. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Oh, uh, obviously not as good as you, but I'm still very good.
0: <laughs> That's good. That's very good. Today, we're going to delve into a bit of resilience. Resilience specifically around from a manager's point of view, how to effectively roll out strategy or change within your team. Rod, you've done a bit of work over your 12 or so years of resilience and accountability research. You've come up with a model, a four-part model called strategy fitness. Yep, that's right. Now, in that model, correct me if I'm wrong, you've been able to define four types of team members
1: Team member behaviour, absolutely correct.
0: When you're trying to roll out strategy or change, you've termed this strategy fitness?
1: Yep. So at a high level, without going into all the details, there are four basic extremes that we typically come across with strategy fitness, which in turn is a function of team and member resilience on the one side and strategy engagement on the other. And the most desirable position, the most desirable behaviour, is what we call flourishing, growing and learning, results focused, energetic, optimistic, and embracing change. It's what you desire. Those are the good people on your side, the ones that you treasure, and funny enough, very often the ones that you ignore because they aren't causing trouble. Uh, but certainly, they the joys in the team. Then there's the There are three other types of behavior. You mentioned at the beginning that they're almost like people. And sometimes you can see individuals slotting into, at their worst, these kinds of typologies I'm going to talk about. But ultimately, it's behavior. And the important thing to remember is behavior can be changed. Mm. If there's underlying pathology and issues, then that's a lot more difficult. But our starting point is you can change behavior, fortunately. Yes. Because dealing with the three less than helpful behaviors, the first one is crumbling. Crumbling is eager beginnings, commitment and enthusiasm, and then implementation problems when the going gets tough. So this is when the going gets tough and the tough don't get going. <laughs> they simply fall over and blame others become resentful very often, and withdraw their contribution. So what you see is underperformance Mm. in the crumbling area. Then the even harder to deal with and the worst kind of behavior actually is drowning. And that's when people are feeling overwhelmed, let down by management and by the organization and by what's happening. They become quietly negative, dejective, and do the minimum to comply they kind of just wither and die on the vine as the winds of change kind of just roar through the vines Mm. and these little grapes shrivel and quietly try to hide because they're aware that they're not actually doing the work that they should do. Um, But from a management point of view, funnily enough, they quiet and they're the ones when the manager the leader stands up and says, we need a volunteer to... And at that point, they suddenly have things to do on the floor. they their shoelaces untied. They're looking at their shoes. They are certainly not catching anyone's eyes because mm. they sure as nuts don't need any more work. So those are the drowning people. And then the third behavior that is less than helpful is completely different in that this is what I call the resistors. Mm. They overly critical, have inflexible thinking, they become stubbornly unconvinced, loudly negative, and resist change. And these, funnily enough, are very often the people that get most of the attention from the leaders. Why? Well, because they sew so in your face. They're there. Mm. They there, they they the ones who say, No, but we've tried this last year or three years ago we've tried it, or it works at head office, but not in Brisbane. This would never work for us people. You know, it, it works elsewhere. It's been tried elsewhere. No one's consulted us. And they take a position of being loudly, overly negative. They almost fall into the position of no matter what you say, I'm going to resist it. Okay, so... In today's
0: episode, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on those loudly negative people and from a manager perspective, how how to combat what they're doing, how to handle the loudly negative resistors, as you call them. So let's paint a picture for the managers and the listeners out there. Let's double down on these loudly negative team members. What do they look like? What are some of the characteristics? How do we identify them?
1: Right. Okay. Three questions, Nick. (laughs) Let me see if I can remember three questions. (laughs) (laughs) Or try and find three answers. Yes. So basically, it's very easy to see these people. For most leaders, you have a picture of, I try to do things and, oh boy, that person, very often long-serving, very often actually competent at their work, Mm. Very often they have been around through the company's changes and mergers and acquisitions and upsides and downsides and all these things. And they're the ones that lead with critical comments. Very often cynical comments, overly cynical, overly uh, negative. And they listen to by the rest of the population. So the rest of the team, particularly if there's new people or people in terms of what you're trying to do. They are sitting on the fence. that are uncommitted. They hear what Auntie Louisa says or <laughs> Uncle y- Yanni, he says, and they say, well, I didn't think it was so bad. And I mean, you know, uh, there's some good things and there's bad things. But if they say it's not going to work, oh, wow, I better listen to them.
0: So if you're, thinking of, if you're looking at the politics of your team, let, right. let's be real here right. as a manager, These are people that seem to have a lot of influence over the rest of the team?
1: Correct. Mm. They have seemingly a disproportionate influence, particularly a negative, a disproportionate negative influence. Because somehow in teams, the good news is often squeezed out by the bad news, is Mm. often replaced by the bad, which is a, a, a human and a brain thing where we're more conscious of, we look for, and we're more alert for negativity. The negative, and so these yeah. people epitomize if there's negativity to be found, they will find it. Yeah,
0: isn't that interesting? If you're a leader of people and, and you're listening to this, you might have a couple of names that might have popped into your head of people in your team that you're thinking, oh, I've got someone like this in my That's team. Right. So we're here to help. <laughs> And I'm going to direct this straight to you, Rod, as a manager. How do we deal with these loudly negative resistors?
1: Excellent question. And I think to delve down into it, let's look at it from their perspective rather than from the leader's perspective. So if you start from their perspective, people that are overly, loudly, critically negative, from their perspective, if they believe that something is immoral, incorrect, against the law, uh, violates ethics, violates the company's values, then they become a whistleblower. And I'm not talking about that. So things that are obviously wrong, that's another conversation. Yeah, let's put that aside. This is where they just say, no, hang on a second, that strategy, we've tried it before and it won't work. Or Those people in head office that devise this have no clue of how it works in our team and our area. On the
0: ground, yeah.
1: So they have, from their perspective, very genuine fears, anxieties, worries. And if they're not feeling valued, heard, and psychologically safe, you may see, particularly if they're fairly strong people, you may see what we as leaders would term overly negative, being stubbornly unconvinced, not wanting to hear the other side of the story. So fundamentally underlying everything that we're talking about, there should be an understanding that if your people, your your people in your team, are not feeling valued, heard, and psychologically safe, then you've got a fundamental problem. So let's assume that is not the issue let's assume that they might be feeling that, but actually it's not because that's been violated, even if they do feel it okay mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. so the starting point is they wanting something and they're not getting whatever that something is okay mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. then this person has got a unique perspective, and that's why they resisting. They um wanting to gather support. And so the funny thing with these people, in order to say things, they gather support. It's almost like a whole bunch of rainbow lorikeets <laughs> getting together and they all flying together and squawking and squabbling and making a hell of a lot of noise. And they fly in and... They reinforce each other, and the more mm. noise they make, the happier they get. And the more loud it is, and the more critical it is, the more it feeds their need to be seen and to be listened to.
0: So, in a group, is where you might find when they're the loudest.
1: Yes. Mm. This category, inevitably, the, the resisting people resist loudly in front of other people because that's where they get their base and the mm. confidence. say what they say in fact you can even take an example of where a leader or the top leadership announces a change a strategy whether it's moving from this building to that building or we're going to open or close new stores or we merging or we even downsizing so very often there's a sort of a town hall kind of a presentation senior leaders come in and they say this is the new strategy and at the end of it with everyone listening at chairs, it can be very quiet. They say, are there any questions? And there's normally a sort of a deathly silence and one person will put up their hand and ask a fairly innocuous question. Everyone looks at each other and I'm not going to say anything in front of these senior people. as which, That happens often, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So then the the senior leaders think, oh, we've done a fairly good job. We've communicated. We've got a commitment. Mm. And they walk out, get on the plane, go back to their head office and feel they've done a very good job. Of course, it's different, the reality on the ground, because what often happens is now the people, the employees go back, the team members go back to their desks. And on the way back, they start to talk about You know, this thing is is troublesome. This strategy is not going to work. This strategy has problems. This doesn't suit me. And so the negativity starts to bubble out. So let's actually think of an example like that. And so I'm going to use an example to try and illustrate the answer to your question of how do you deal with loudly, overly negative people? Let's say they are back at the workplace and... The workplace is some kind of environment where people have to produce things or get things done or send out things or contact clients or whatever. And the leader walks past the desks and sees one of the people, typically this well-respected, rather long-serving, uh, kind of difficult person. they talking to one of their team members saying, oh, this is so bad. This is not going to work you know, we've tried it before or this doesn't work for me or this is so bad. And the team leader thinks, oh, my word, here we go again. Here we go. Yeah, so let me just leave this alone for a while and hope things resolve itself, (laughs) which is mostly the human first response is, you know, my roof's leaking. Let me just see if it doesn't fix itself over the the period. And then they so they walk away and hope, it gets better.
0: And there, there, I'm guessing there would also be a, a collection of managers that would instantly not be able to control their own emotions hearing that and start to attack this person too. And that can happen. There are managers out there that might react in that way as well.
1: And, of course, the team leader, even if they don't react that way, might re- really feel, I would like to strangle this person yes. because there's two problems. Well, a couple of problems. The one is the person obviously didn't raise this objection at the right time secondly they now raising it vociferously in and in the hearing of other people and thirdly they're actually in this example keeping someone out of work as well as themselves so there's yes. three issues now that they're dealing with and as i say let's hypothetically say that the leader walks away thinking you know just like the reeking roof i hope it gets better without mm. me having to do anything And then comes back a little bit later and surprise, surprise, the same team member is now talking to a different team member and keeping them out of the work and repeating what they've told the other person. This is so bad. This will never work. It's so bad for me. I don't know how this, why didn't they consider? And now the team leader says to him or herself, I need to deal with this person. So here's how they can deal with the person. And the strategy that I suggest is a twofold strategy. One is get this person to comply with the work demands at the moment, which is to get the productivity out at the end of the day. And in this example that I'm actually thinking of, the town hall has taken people away from the production, but actually their KPIs are that they must produce a certain amount every day or get through a certain amount every day. And the fact that there's been a town hall meeting, that doesn't excuse the fact that they still have their KPIs to meet at the end of the day. So there's production that has to be made. So the first thing is get compliance from this person to stop keeping themselves and other people out of work and go and finish the work as much as we can before the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, deal with the issue. So, the way I would suggest that the team leader deals with this is to go up to the person and say to them, Can I just see you for a minute, please? And take them away out of the earshot of their colleagues. Because behind all this, all the team members are watching what is happening. These are the people that are working, they're watching what is happening. I'm working. This person is keeping themselves and other people out of work. What is the team leader going to do about this? Mm. And this is the hidden thing about a lot of this, is that everyone else is, is saying, in essence, I'm doing my bit. I'm pulling my weight. I'm helping the team. And if this person isn't helping the team, what is the team leader going to do? And so all eyes on the team leader and actually even if they don't realize it the team leader has got two problems the one problem is the person the other problem is if i do nothing why should my team continue to take up the slack from these other people and they and that's a legitimate question so first thing is take the person aside and four step process to use this process, which in essence is, so step one is, when I see or hear something, step one, step two, I feel, one labeling of a feeling, step three, and that feeling comes from, and it's either a need that is not met, or it's a value that's been violated. And then step four is, I'm asking you a request that I have. This is what I want you to do. So just to summarize on that, the first step is when I see or hear something, and it must be behavioral and not an attack. So an example of of an attack is when I see you being so negligent, when I see you being so bad, that's an attack. It's not behavioral. Behavioral is when I see, and it's actually what I see like a a video would record, record it, or when I hear the way a podcast, hopefully, would record it. (laughs) When I see or hear and it's not arguable, I feel. Now, that's also not arguable. So if I can label my feeling, that shouldn't be – because I can't really say, Nick, you don't feel cross. Nick, you don't feel upset because – No one can dispute
0: the feeling that you're feeling. As
1: long as it's correctly labeled, a feeling. Not, Not a whole bunch, but a feeling. And where did that feeling come from? That's step three. The feeling came from a need that you had or a value that's been violated. And that, again, can't be contested because if you've followed the procedure and labeled it correctly, if you have a need for safety, if you have a value of honesty and these things are being violated or not met, then that is your world and people can't say, no, you're wrong. And then the fourth component is a request. Would you please go and do something? Which is a request, not a command, because the person could actually say, no, uh, no, I'm not going to do it. And then at least you know where you stand. So let's, let's run through that. First step is, so the person, you've taken them away from the, the colleague who they're talking to and keeping out of work. And you say to the person something like, when I've now passed your work area twice, I have seen you 10 minutes ago talking to person A about the strategy and about how it's bad for you and now when I've seen you again 10 minutes later you talking to person B about the same issues of the strategy and how it's not going to work and how it personally impacts you in a very bad way that's step 1 step 2 is how do I feel I feel perhaps you might say as a team leader I feel as a team leader really concerned. Step three, why? Because my role is to get the production out at the end of this day. And already we're behind because we've had the team, uh, the, the town hall meeting, and I'm getting anxious about the, the ability of our team to fulfill our requirements today. So, step four is then what is your request? So, I am asking you, would you please go back to your desk and help us? Deliver on our accountabilities, on our KPIs for today. Will you do that? And then the other thing that I'm going to ask is I can see there's clearly an issue. Can we please discuss this tomorrow morning, perhaps before work, because I know you come back early, or tomorrow morning at tea time, or tomorrow at lunchtime, or at some other time where we can sit down and I'd like to hear the issues that you have and try and resolve them as much as I can.
0: And that's so important, that last piece, about acknowledging that you understand that they might have some issues, acknowledging that piece and acknowledging that you would like to hear those issues but at an appropriate time. Correct. And so it's almost it's double-sided, this this model, because it's addressing the issue at hand right now There's also a a subtle priming conversation that's happening at the end of that that's saying, I hear you. Correct. I hear your problems. Let's talk about it, but at an appropriate and prearranged time.
1: Yes. So then it comes back to hopefully they would feel valued because you're asking the question. Absolutely. And safe that they can actually talk through it behind closed doors with you and you can then find out what are the issues, what has happened, and Perhaps you can actually address them and perhaps you can't. Perhaps you a can't. Merger is a merger. Yeah. And you know, bad luck. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. Mm. So there's a limit to what you can do, but at least you can hear them out, work through issues with them. And ultimately, you know, work involves a, a transaction of effort and output and pay. And if If it doesn't work for the person, well, they have choices.
0: Exactly right. And from there, and you sort of started to briefly touch on it too, if you were a manager yourself and you've been given the change, the strategy that's come down from the top level and you yourself don't necessarily agree with elements of the strategy or a certain thing. Yes, yes. How do you then handle a loudly negative person that might actually be saying aloud what you're thinking about this particular change or strategy? How do you handle it then?
1: Excellent question. In fact, I was with a company which went through a restructuring that for various reasons was very unpopular and a great shock to a series of leaders, and the one leader was so upset by what had happened and so did not buy into the announcement that was made at a town hall like we've talked about, that he actually said to his team, this is so awful and so bad and I so disagree with it. I'm taking my coat and going home. And he got in his car and he went home.
0: So he left in the middle of (laughs) the… He
1: left in the middle of the (laughs) workday. Wow, and he he was the leader. You... He was he was a, a fairly senior okay. team leader. He was a leader of supervisors, and the supervisors had people under him. So under them, sorry. So you can imagine how the team heard this and how it impacted on them. They didn't like what was happening and coming down from the from the top leadership and their leader actually so didn't like it as well that he couldn't take it and went home you know if you're a if you're a leader you sign on for implementing strategy that's fundamentally what you're doing if you're a a knowledge worker or a person at the bottom of the pyramid you've signed on for certain output yes. the higher that you get You sign on for implementing the strategy to get the output from other people. Mm. That's the role. That's what you paid for.
0: You're empowering the people underneath you. Yes, you're probably not paid enough for it,
1: but that's another conversation, (laughs) (laughs) and we all feel it. But that's that's your contract, your ethical contract with the company. You're getting paid a little bit more to make sure that the strategy rolls out. Now, you're right. What happens if you feel strongly or minorly that – actually, this is the wrong strategy. Well, I've had that. And I've had that when I have myself been in a leadership position managing other leaders who've managed sales teams and super administration teams. So it was being a a leader of leaders or a manager of managers. And strategy inevitably comes down that has been mandated and agreed to by the board. And by that time, You may or may not agree. Now, salespeople, and I've managed sales teams myself and then been a leader of managing sales teams. And Mm. every year, it's the same story. Do more with less. Achieve more. And somehow your bonuses and those important things are just tweaked in a way. You have to do more with less. Now, what happens in situations like that? The role of the leader is then to be authentic on the one hand and fulfill your contract with the organization to roll strategy out on the other hand. So on the one hand, you don't go and say, well, I also think this is a pretty dumb strategy, (laughs) even if you think that there are elements that are pretty dumb. You can't say that. But on the other hand, you can't say, I think this is the best thing since sliced bread because… You're not being true. You're It's it's not genuine. It's not being genuine. So the middle point, which is what I did, which worked for me, is I would say things like, people, this is the new strategy. And I want to tell you that I've done my best to fight our corner, to put our positions through. I've won some of the battles and I've lost some of the other battles. And that's that's real. That's real life. You always win some and lose some. Hopefully, you win more than you lose some. But... This is the strategy that we have got and I have signed up to. I have signed to deliver this. So you aren't saying I agree with it. You aren't saying I think this is wonderful. You aren't saying I agree with everything. You're saying my role is that I have signed up for this 100% to deliver it to the utmost of my ability. Mm. And that's what you request of your people. So I'm not requesting you to say this is the best strategy. I'm not requesting you to say, I think this is wonderful or you totally agree with it. I'm requesting that we deliver it. And that's Mm -hmm. very, very different. And you can do that in an authentic manner. This, so in my role as a team leader, I have bought into the fact that the time for negotiation and argument is over and this is what we are going To deliver, this is the outcome. Mm. This is the outcome. So now you can have a conversation about uh, motivation where we've handled tough strategies before last year or the previous year. We struggled with this change with implementation or this change with legislation or the new product or the new procedure or the new formulation. We've struggled with that. And you know what? We got through that. If we can get through that, we can get through this. Now, so that's part of your role in terms of motivating your team genuinely, presuming that you genuinely feel that. And, and that's the way you authentically deal with strategy that you don't fully buy into. If it's strategy that you think is immoral, violates the company's values, mm. is unethical, you know, there are things that are fundamentally wrong, that's different.
0: That is different, yeah.
1: That's a whistleblower. Then you go on down a different track. But hopefully most of the stuff we have to do certainly doesn't violate human or business operational tenets of decency yeah. and standard operating procedures. Yeah,
0: of course, of course. So then I'm going to go right ahead and assume that if you're a manager and you do agree with the strategy and you've s- still got these loudly negative people, you would handle the situation much in the same way. That that doesn't affect it. It's more if you, if you don't agree, you have to change your approach slightly. But Correct. If you do, you use the four-step model we were talking about before and everything that we said before, essentially. is that is that Would that be correct in saying that?
1: Correct. So you get the person to comply with the work that they should be doing. So the whole resisting model is a compliance model, getting people to comply and then, as you've quite rightly said, underneath that very quickly – is going back to feeling safe, valued, and heard, you see what you can do to address their concerns. Mm. And where you can't, you raise this and say, this is how far I can go. This is the amount the organization can change. If you don't like it, what
0: are you going to do? Exactly, and it's, it's giving them then the option. Because if they don't like it that much, if it's compromising their thoughts, ideas, values, their that concerned about an issue that you don't have any control over, they don't have any control over, then the onus then becomes on them. And the great thing about this is it's keeping it all at a really constructive conversational level, if that makes sense, because there's no blame in this. There's no, well, I don't agree with that. There's no – it's not allowing that – that sort of heightened emotional state to come into it where maybe people are getting upset and that sort of thing. It's actually keeping it really at a, at a level that's constructive yep. and there will be an output at the end of this conversation which is pretty much the person either has to deal with what is happening and do the best that they can in their role, right. et cetera, Correct. or potentially exit the organisation or, or move into a different area in Correct. the organisation.
1: Hopefully, if, if they don't like it, go into a different area, go mm-hmm. go and do something different. Um, and then that can be explored. Particularly if they're long-serving. Yes. So going back to this example of the leader who couldn't accept the change, if it was that bad, he should have said to the leaders, I'm requesting you to to go into a, a knowledge specialist position I can't lead the team because I so disagree with what is happening. Mm. That would have been an ethical response if, if there was an option to do that.
0: Mm. So my last question surrounding this is uh, looking to yourself as a manager, the listeners as a manager, you'll most likely be a part of a team yourself, a team of managers potentially, and you'll have a boss above you most likely, that will be implementing strategy and change down. So that's whether you're in, uh, you're a leader of leaders, where you might your boss might be the CEO, or if you're the CEO, the boss might be your boss, or bosses might be your board. So as a manager that's part of a team, can these same tools and techniques be applied upwards? Yes. So
1: absolutely, yes.
0: So how does that look?
1: It looks very similar. So I'm thinking of an example with a company that makes drugs, ethical and non-ethical pharmaceutical formulations. Okay. And there was um, in the ethical area a very senior chemist, and this person had a PhD, and the colleagues were also highly qualified people and one of the colleagues in this research team or compliance team or looking at risk team, or or they were being responsible for production in various parts of the factory. Mm -hmm. One of the colleagues was going through personal issues and was being given a soft ride by the leader. And as a result of it, the person that I was speaking to who came on a resilience training program, one of our resilience training programs in the organization Mm -hmm. said, would this work? I need to go to this very senior person and say to them, basically, you're giving a free ride and the consequence is I'm being overloaded and I don't like it. And I said, absolutely, yes. And we worked on, and there was a coaching session, a very quick one that I had with this very senior person of how do you tackle the top person? And it was the same thing. When I see and hear in the meetings you very quickly allow this other person to not answer to not take the responsibility to you know to to get a free ride mm. i must tell you that i feel however they felt i think they were feeling fairly resentful and also Um, underneath it was feeling quite overwhelmed. It was starting to impact on their home areas.
0: Because they were starting to take on work that should have been that other person's work. Is that right? Correct. So they were overloaded, right? Yes, they were
1: being overloaded. So when I see and hear in the meetings, you don't hold this other person to account, I feel starting to feel a bit overwhelmed and a bit resentful. And that's because at home, I have the need to go home and be the loving in this case, the loving dad I'd like to be and working the hours that are the consequence of this that are not my fault. And I, and, and there's no acknowledgement and no dealing with the person's personal issues. That's how I'm feeling. So my request to you is either don't give me the work or deal with this person. And the person said it in a very respectful, calm, fairly slow manner because of the power of this Mm. one one of the things about this and you know if if we have chance in another podcast we we can actually deal with the power of it but you have to say it fairly it's useful to say it fairly slowly because of the power and getting people to actually hear what you are saying Mm. um because you come up with, with this request mostly, mostly they say yes. And even if they don't want to acknowledge it, they would then say, well, you know, I can't do it or it's a little bit complicated or how, how can I then meet your needs as well, mm. which is what happened in this case.
0: Oh, okay. That's really interesting because there's two things there, isn't it? Because I think with that example that you just gave, one of, one of the things that I gleaned from that was it's really fascinating how we as managers handle a person in our team that is going through something in their personal life and how we approach that because, like we've said on this podcast before, it's it's all life. Yes, work and home affect each other. Yes, so things that happen at home inevitably affect how you operate in the workplace. Yep, and definitely vice versa, which yep. we know of. So it's funny and it's interesting. Sorry, in that example that the natural feelings of the other person in that team that uh, didn't have the personal issues and that was feeling resentful and that was feeling overwhelmed because the manager was giving them more of a workload to help out this other person in their team. It's interesting because from that leader's perspective, they're probably thinking, yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing a good thing as a, as a manager here because they're going through a tough time and I'm just going to go easy on them for a little bit, so we'll, we'll share the workout. it's okay, it's Okay without consulting the other people first, without consulting the other people in that team to say, we've got a team member that's, that's going through something in the moment. How can we meet? We have this amount of work to be done. How can we do this work and still meet your needs? So if you're feeling overwhelmed, like how do we manage through this process? So That's a really fascinating example. Mm. That's a re- and it's a, interesting that it's good that you ended up empowering this person with this four-step model uh, to be able to communicate up to that boss to say, hey, I'm struggling here.
1: Mm, you know, mm, this is affecting mm, me. Mm, that's really, mm.
0: really good. And another thing to mention too is that everything we talked about today, that strategy fitness model, the four-step process of how to get what you need, that's all fundamental things that are taught in a lot of our resilience workshops Yes, across absolutely. the board.
1: Yes, so that would be common in both the, the coaching program where we have coaching for accountability, it, it, where you coach the manager how to do this. And funny enough, the same model is applicable in resilience for accountability for the people at the bottom of the organization. The team or the members. the specialists mm. and the team members. Uh, and in the bounce workshop of how do you engage with things that you don't like? And it's also applicable at home. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, little, little Jakey with my daughter and little Lila, I heard little Lila and her mom have a conversation that went something like this Lila, when I normally do the washing on Saturday, and I find that when I've done all the washing, that we're missing your school dress, and I find the school dress under the bed, kicked under the bed. Step one, step two. I must tell you that I feel so sad that you oh. are not complying and doing what you promised you would do, and that's because I need you to grow up and to be a strong woman who sticks to her commitments, and that's what I really am looking for as a, as a, a, a you know, in your future. So, step four, the request I have is: Are you going to stick to your commitments which was that when there's dirty clothes you put them in the dirty washing basket rather than kicking them under the bed so it was a little bit longer of a conversation but that's more (laughs) or less what i heard yeah wow going on oh wow there you go
0: isn't that interesting so that that particular four-step model can be used in all sorts of
1: all over the place and it's very powerful
0: yeah yeah absolutely all right, I think that about covers the overly negative, loudly negative uh, people in your team. And hopefully we've sort of given you an insight into potentially how to go about handling them. And the the idea behind this is that out of our four-step model at the start, uh, our strategy fitness model, we're going to, over the next sort of few weeks, cover off each of those areas and how to deal with the people so the next one we'll focus on is the crumbling team members which are a different type of team member but that's our aim over the next few weeks is to help you as managers out there sort of identify these people and then give you some strategies about how we can deal with these people in the real world workplace really practical tools so thank you very much rod it's a great pleasure and i'm looking forward to the next one we'll see you next time on the gray matter podcast